glad you're here. And and uh, I know we're missing missing one. I'm glad Donna was able to make it. Um, glad to have you here today. Get a little water before we get started. There's a story of a, a long time ago of a Persian king. He was known for his great wisdom and for being a good and righteous king. He loved his people so much he always wondered how his people in his kingdom, how they went about their lives. He wanted to know how they lived, and he wanted to know about their problems and their hardships. So often what the king would do in secret was change his royal attire. He would put on regular common commoner clothes as they were in his country, and he would go about looking as like a, a beggar or a working man. And he would go out to the many multitude of homes of the poor people in the villages. So no one, it says, no one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler. One time he visited, he says, story goes, a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food that the poor people ate at that time. He spoke cheerfully, kind words to him. Then he left. Later he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gifts of favor, knowing it was his king. But he didn't. Instead, he said, quote, the man said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the same food as I did. You brought gladness, he said, to my heart. To others, you have given your rich gifts. To me, you have given of yourself. This story sound familiar? Very familiar. God gave of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Paul wrote that he is, Christ is the indescribable, unspeakable gift from God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. A week early, I know it's December 18th, not December 25th. We're going to talk about today in our sermon series. This is the second of the third installment of the sermon series, Completely Christmas. Last time we talked about, last Sunday, Christmas prophesied all of the multi, many of the Old Testament prophecies leading to Christ's first coming, and we talked about their fulfillments. Today, we're going to talk about Christmas actually realized. Christmas realized. And then next time we meet, we know it's going to be an extra week later because of the horrific weather that's coming, but we're going to get there. Next time, we're going to talk about Christmas character characterized what we talk about and discuss today of the christmas story what does it truly mean to you and me we're going to characterize the christmas story but today we're going to look at christmas realized if you want to follow along the bibles i bet you can guess where i want you to turn luke chapter 2 luke's gospel and chapter 2 we're going to look at verses 1 through 20 today as we talk about christmas realized now this story you can point this as in a direction that as like in a children's play, you know, Christmas programs going on, a Christmas play. You can look at this as a three-act play, okay? And that's what we're going to break this down into today. Act number one, in the beginning of the story from Dr. Lute's um, um, great um, investigative work and interviewing people, comes from the capital of the entire world, the Roman Empire at that time, the city of Rome. Look at chapter two and look at the first three verses. 
He says, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken by Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. And everyone on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. That's where we take off in Act 1 of this drama, this play. Did you know Caesar Augustus mentioned here is the only time he is mentioned at all in the Bible? Who was he? And I did a little extra looking a few days ago. Caesar Augustus was the actual first Roman emperor. Okay, the empire had been going on. The, the, the entire co combination of Rome and its power had been in existence, but it was the first, he was the first Roman emperor after the fall of the, what would they know, they called the Roman Republic. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. Remember that guy in history? Julius Caesar, okay? And then we know he was assassinated. He then was a, his adopted nephew. He took him in and he was to be the, predator, the, the successor to Julius Caesar. And he was given the name Caesar Augustus. Caesar is just a title like king. He's King Augustus. Augustus means the exalted one. He was known as the exalted king. His real name, though, was Gaius Octavius. That was his actual name. Now, he had some great accomplishments, and he had some things that didn't go so well during his reign. One accomplishment was he was a great man of organization. He took chaos and brought it back into order in the Roman Empire. He created order, stability in the Roman world. Now, one of his major weaknesses and nothing has changed in 2,000 years about what I'm about to say. It'll probably make you laugh a little bit. It's sad, but it'll make you laugh. He, under his rule, his government was spending more than they were taking in. Sound familiar? You know, how many trillion are we in debt right now? What is it? 30 trillion approximately? And it just keeps going up. That will never be paid. Their deficit was going up and up and up more. So, henceforth, what happened? They wanted to make sure all the people, all the men, went back to their original hometowns where they were born to register in order to pay what? Taxes, okay? That, was, that is a biblical thing, to pay taxes, all right? So they can fund these projects that they wanted to pursue in. Now, notice how God took a natural event of what was decreed by Caesar Augustus to use for his super supernatural purpose, all right? Augustus. Think of this with the stroke of his pen and at one executive order, we're still feeling the ramifications of that today. It caused Mary and Joseph to travel back to a little dusty old town named Bethlehem, a town I can guarantee you Augustus had never heard of. It was a little speck on the map in Rome, okay? He had never heard of it and what it would do, it would bring about the birth of the real true king, Jesus Christ. Now, interestingly, that same king, Jesus, born in Bethlehem as a, in his first time in human form, a few hundred years later, many of his followers would come together and overthrow and take over the Roman Empire. It would fall, amazingly and enough. He had no idea that was going to happen. Now, think of this, okay? During his reign of, of Caesar Augustus, you could have went through and asked anybody if you lived during that time, who is the most powerful man in the world? You know who they would have said? Octavius, of course, Caesar Augustus. He's the most powerful man in the world. What about today? You go out and interview him today. Who was Gaius Octavius? Who was Caesar Augustus? 
How many of them could tell you who he was? Probably little to know who he was. Now, as Christians could, because we know this verse. He was the Roman emperor during that time. But most people have never heard of Octavius. But yet, 2,000 years later, the name of Jesus Christ was known then and even more so today because millions upon millions of people are worshiping Jesus Christ. His name has never, ever been forgotten. Okay, now, Act 1 was in the city of Rome. Act number 2, as I mentioned, is in a little old town called Bethlehem. All right, look at verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. We talked about that last Sunday in the tribe of Judah, all right? In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, you may have wondered, now why in the world, pregnant Mary, why would she travel all of this way um, to Bethlehem? Approximately, it was 85 miles from Nazareth where he, they, were, they were staying at that time. Back 85 miles, taking a pregnant lady. Why in the world did she go? Well, she was at this point, she was very far along in her pregnancy, and he didn't want to leave her there alone. Also, the scripture says, also, he wanted to take her away from the vicious rumor mill that was going on in that time during her pregnancy in Nazareth. She was a part of a vicious rumor going around that Mary had had a one-night stand with a Roman uh, soldier in the city of Nazareth. His name was Panthera. So he wanted to take her away from that, but even more so, 700 years earlier, there was a prophecy by a prophet named Micah. In Micah 5.2, he says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He was, Jesus was going to be born in a little town of Bethlehem. Prophesied 700 years earlier. Now, they both had arrived. I'm sure at that point, Joseph had did his registering thing. He got that done. I'm sure he had family that was still there. He probably had friends catching up on old times. Well, guess what? The contraction started to pick up, started to come, and they were intensifying, I'm sure, very quickly on Mary. We got to find a place to stay. So they scramble around. We know the story goes. All right, now look at verses six and seven. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. You know what's amazing about these two verses? Two little short verses record the most important human birth in human history. Two little verses record this important birth. Now, for the next couple of minutes, I want you to listen to me. Bless you. Use your imagination, try to clear your mind, everything, and picture as I'm reading somebody who gave a detailed description of what that night must have been prior to Christ's birth. Listen to this. For the census, the royal family had to travel 85 miles. Joseph walks while Mary, nine months pregnant, rides side saddle on a donkey, feeling very jolt, every rut, every rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen with an influx of travelers. The inn is packed, people feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. Now it is late. Everyone is asleep 
and there is no room. But fortunately, the innkeeper is not all shekels and mites. True, his table is crowded with his guests, animals, but if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, they would welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrating on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. The night is still when Joseph creaks open the stable door. As he does, a chorus of barn animals make discordant note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, as there have not been enough hours in the day to tend the guests, let alone the livestock. You know what he means by that. Now, a small oil lamp lent them by the innkeeper flickers to dance shadows on the walls. A disquieting place for a woman in throes of childbirth, far from home, far from family, far from what she had expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. It is a relief just to finally get off that donkey. She leans back against the wall, feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing stronger and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. Not a minute to lose. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to make do for a crib. Hay would serve as a mattress. Blankets? Blankets? Ah, his robe. That would have to do. And those rags hung out to dry would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy either for the mother or the child. For every royal privilege, for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knives through the calm of that silent night. Joseph returns, breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head had already pushed its way into the world. Sweet, sweet pours, sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife, in all Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all of her strength, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Wonderful, isn't it? That's almost as if it actually happened in that manner. What a miracle that was. I mentioned it last Sunday. You can list all the miracles you want in the Bible. I believe this man was right. C.S. Lewis said the greatest miracle of them all was God coming in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. God left those perfect portals in heaven, didn't he? He didn't have to, but he left the perfect portals in heaven all his glory and all his majesty that come not to be worshipped at first. He came to be the ultimate sacrifice for the entire world. Amen. He came for the entire world. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul put it this way, who, although he, that is Jesus, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Act 1 was the city of Rome. Act 2, a little town of Bethlehem. And Act 3 is a hillside just outside of the city of Bethlehem. 
Look at verses 8 through 11. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You have to understand something about shepherds. They're the main topic of these verses right here. The shepherds were looked upon in a negative way by the Jewish culture because of their, their, their work, their lifestyle. They were smelly. They were dirty. There was no axiodorant, no kind of deodorant, no kind of cologne that would make that horrible smell go away. They didn't have a place to go shower whenever they got dirty. They were dirty, smelly shepherds. I can guarantee you they weren't invited to any Christmas parties or any Jewish upper-class invitations. They just, that stuff just didn't happen, okay? Interesting enough, enough, though, think of this. God chose to make his announcement to the Savior of the world. To whom? He could have chosen the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, and his administration to make the announcement to. He didn't do that. He could have went to Jerusalem. And through, the, um, through Gabriel, the angel, made the announcement of the long-awaited Messiah to all the Jewish leaders. Did he do that? No, he didn't. Who did he make the announcement to? Smelly, dirty, filthy shepherds. That's who he chose to make that announcement to. And Gabriel appears and he gives them a sign starting in verse 12. Look at this. This will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom God, or he, is well pleased. Now, if you have the King James Version, in verse 14, it says, Peace, goodwill towards men. That's an unfortunate translation of the original Greek. That almost sounds like a generic blessing upon everyone. Peace, you all, goodwill to all men. Is that what the text really says? It is not what it says. Let me ask you this. Is it true, though, that everyone has true peace in the world? No, they don't. Only true peace comes through who? Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified, found not guilty by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who wholly have true peace. Now, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Now, notice what, the, what we just read. What does the text say? Does it say that after the uh, angel Gabriel left their presence, that they decided to wait around? Oh, you know what? It's awful late at night. Uh, we don't have much light out here. Getting to Bethlehem down the hillside may be dangerous. I think we'll wait till morning. Did they do that? No. Did they say, you know what? He's right. We're going to go. But first... Let's make our rounds and make sure all of the herd of sheep are safe. They could have done that. Did they do that? No. It says they whew, lickety split. They left in a 
hurry. They couldn't wait to get to the site of where Messiah was laying. This was the first I heard someone say, this is the first example you have of the Christmas rush. In a hurry, not to go shopping, not to window shop, but to observe the Savior of the world. Now look at verses 17 through 18 and then verse 20. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Gabriel told the shepherds, I bring you good news. The Savior of the entire world has been born, he told them. Now, what do they do with that good news? What do they do with it? Let me get a drink of water. I'm awful dry mouth. Did they go back to the sheep, check on the sheep, and gather together and go, man, man, that just made my night. Did they do that? No, they didn't do that. The text says they went back glorifying. They went back praising God for what they had just seen and experienced. That's what they did. I imagine between, between Jesus, the location, baby Jesus, and back to the hillside, there were people up and down the streets, I would have to imagine that night. The town was full of people. It probably never slept. They were probably a party town. Who knows? If it was, good for the shepherds because what did they do? On the way back, they weren't silent. They were glorifying. They were praising God for what they had heard and seen. Guess what? You need to go check that out. The Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, is finally here. Praise be to God. They praised it all the way back. I bet you they even talked to the sheep. You ever talked to your animals before? I talk to ours all the time. Mainly, I'm scalding them. But I'm talking to them. Whether they understand or not, I, certain things. They probably looked at the sheep. Guess what? Your creator, the savior of the world, is finally here. They probably give them a stupid look. But guess what? They told them. They were glorifying. They were praising God. A savior was born. Someone once said, if man's greatest need was for the law, he would have sent a legislator. If man's greatest need was for money, he would have sent, God would have sent an economist. But guess what? Man's greatest need was forgiveness. And because of that, he sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The angel Savior Gabriel said, I bring to you good news, a message of hope for everyone. Atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, Anyone and everyone, the message of good news is for everyone, not just a few, but for everyone. All was, think of this, that night in that hillside, all was dark until the light of God through the angel Gabriel burst on the scene. Finally, there was some light given the good news of Jesus Christ. And the message in itself says that child laying in that trough would one day extinguish darkness forever, forever. Just as I mentioned in Sunday school, whenever your situations are dark, it seems like there's no light, there's no hope. Remember this, that is just temporal. One day, the Savior of the world is going to return and right the wrongs and extinguish darkness forever. Amen. Forever and ever and ever all because of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
you know, as Christians, we right now, we all sitting here, we understand that good news. But before we were Christians, we didn't understand that good news. We had to understand first the bad news before we can get the good news. What is the bad news? Everyone who has ever been born, every person ever ever to have been born has been in conceived and born into sin, needing forgiveness, needing a Savior. And by rights, every one of us were deserving to die, eternally separated from God forever and ever. But God, because of his great love and mercy, what did he do? He sent forth his son Jesus to die for you and me and you out there, the sins of the entire world. That is the good news. He came to die for our sins. God loved us so much that he never knew. How many of you before you were saved were looking for God? None of us were looking for God. Not a single, I wasn't looking for God. It's through the Holy Spirit. He used another man to drag me into that facility that night so I can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and that free gift of salvation. He knew that none of us were looking for him. He said, that's okay. I'm sending my son to find you. That's what he was doing. He sent a savior, Christ the Lord. On the screen, that baby, you know what? There was nothing any different of a child being born. No telling how many hundreds of hundreds of children were born in Israel that night. Here's the difference. That child lying in that manger was a baby born to die for all of us. The greatest gift in the Christmas season, the greatest gift you or me or anyone else can give for anyone else is to tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. Not that he came as a baby, that's true, but it goes so much further than the cradle. It goes, it leads to the cross. Give somebody that gift. Tell them about Jesus Christ, why he came, why Christmas is so important. Not ignoring his birth, the greatest birth in human history, leading to a horrific death on the cross. And three days later, he, by the word of his mouth, the power of God would raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And we know that he conquered that moment, death, once and for all. Satan is a defeated foe. And we spent, he spent 40 days on the earth. Then he's now, he ascended to heaven and he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. One day, coming back again to reclaim what is rightfully his. This Christmas, tell someone about the good news of Jesus Christ. For unto you is born a Savior today, Christ the Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's bow together in prayer. What about you out there? And I just said a moment ago, maybe you're wondering what to get a loved one for Christmas. We have about a week away from Christmas. We pray you'll be with your family, your loved ones. I've got a great idea that I just mentioned a moment ago. It's not a material gift. It's an eternal gift that you can least lead that person to. Tell a lost loved one about Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't heard of the good news of Jesus Christ. We just spoke about the greatest birth in human history. If you're lost, you can't give that message to someone else. You need it first, and you need to receive it by faith. No better time right now in this Christmas season to receive the greatest gift of all, the free gift of salvation.
if God's Holy Spirit is working on you right now, and you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you can say this simple prayer of faith with me right now in your heart, silently or out loud, knowing God is listening and waiting to receive you as one of his children. What a great gift, the greatest gift during this Christmas season to receive. Say this prayer with me. Dear God, I thank you for loving me. And I know and understand that I'm a sinner. And I am truly sorry for those sins in my life. But I believe what I heard today, that you love me so much, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, taking the punishment that I deserved for my sins. And I'm trusting in what Christ and Christ alone did to save me from those sins. God, thank you for loving me and thank you for forgiving me. And I am praying right now, you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all your heart, you are now a child of God. You have just received the greatest gift you will ever receive in your entire life, salvation. You're going to not experience God's eternal condemnation, but His eternal love. There is more than just this life. This life is short and brief. And now that you're a child of God, once you take your last breath, when God calls you home, you will immediately be in the presence of Jesus. That's the greatest gift a person can ever receive. And if you prayed that prayer, we want to hear from you here today at Pleasant View Baptist Church by going to our contact page at the bottom of your screen. You'll type it in. It is pdmb.me forward slash contact. Go to that website, type it in, go to it. It will take you to our contact information where you will fill in that information and you'll just leave a brief message. Hey, Brother Stephen, I prayed the prayer of faith. And by doing so, we want to send you some free material. We have about four different pamphlets of literature we want to send you. We will also want to send you a Gideon's Bible to get you started on your new found walk. Go to that website and put in the information and we'll get that to you as soon as possible. But make sure you don't stop there. I talked about telling and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Once you're now a Christian, you're going to get that testimony. Many times it's your own personal testimony, what Christ just did for you, the life you were living. Share that with someone else as a great testimony. The good news, you're doing that out of obedience. And by also doing that, you may lead someone else to faith in Christ, a family member, a coworker, a friend. Tell them of what Jesus just did for you. And by doing so, you'll be obedient and doing the work, God's kingdom work. If you can't save them, though, don't forget that. I can't save them. No pastor, no family member can save somebody. Only through the Holy Spirit of God can save them. You give that testimony to them. You plant that seed. You water it down. And when you're gone, you may, the Holy Spirit may come in and take care of the rest in his own time. Be obedient and give that testimony. And then don't stop there. Make sure that you take yourself into a Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. They don't cherry-pick Scripture. They don't try to be politically correct for numbers, um, whatever, for money, uh, for popularity, for notoriety. They teach the whole counsel of God's Word and make sure that church teaches about sin. Sin is the reason why. We are all have inherited that sin virus from Adam and Eve. That's why we needed the Savior, because we can't save ourselves. No one else can save us 
only through the blood of Jesus. That's why the good news of Christmas is so important. A baby born to die 33 and a half years later to save us from our sins. That is it. Make sure they teach about sin. Sin is the reason everything, this world is not on the ascend. This world is on the gradual descend right now. And make sure in that Bible-believing church that's teaching the whole counsel of God's Word, just like this church, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page or on our website. That is pvbaptistchurch.org, where Daniel has just done, I note, he let me know the other day, he's done some restructuring to the website, making it easier to find sermons on there, previous sermons on there, and our statement of faith is on there. Check us out. If you can't get into this church, please, I implore you, get into another Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. Father in heaven, I pray to you today that no one who may have listened to this invitation to salvation, I pray that no one would resist that call or any other great teacher of faith out there that put out that call of salvation in, in their invitation. I pray that they would say yes to you, God, and no to sin and no to Satan. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.